I'm your host, Cull, and this is Backwoods Creepy Strange Encounters in the Forest. Hello again, guys. We've got our little audio campfire roaring, so grab some burgers and relish and settle in. I'm about to bring you some weird and creepy stories from the tree line. But first, we want to thank our newest patron, Beth, for the support. It means a ton to us, and we truly appreciate your contributions. I also want to thank all the people that have already shared their stories or given us permission to tell their stories. We couldn't do this show without people brave enough to share their lived experiences. And if you have a story to tell, something that happened to you and you just can't explain it, send it to backwoodscreepypod at gmail.com. Even if you aren't sure about writing the story yourself, just email us and we can work on telling your story together. Alright, get something to drink. We've got a couple of good ones for you today. The darkness plays many tricks on our minds. We can sometimes hear things that aren't there or see things that can't be. We fill in the knowledge gap with our imaginations, machinations, and at times the darkness comes alive with terrors and impossibilities beyond the wildest dreams of any schlock B-horror movie director. But there is a difference between the fear of not knowing and the fear of not understanding. Sometimes the darkness is less an absence of light and more an opening, a yawning gateway into something other than other than our world, other than our time, other than our dimension. It can be a dark and distant mirror in which we faintly glimpse our shadow selves playing out our parallel lives on another plane. Three of my friends and I drove to Breezewood as a staging ground for a nice nighttime tour of the abandoned Pennsylvania Turnpike, a long underground tunnel that cuts through the mountains. In the spirit of October, we decided to check it out late at night, so we set off from our hotel in Breezewood around 10.30 p.m. To get ourselves even more psyched up, I played creepy music along the way as we entered into the dark forest. We arrived at the entrance of a trail that leads to a section of the Sidling Hill Tunnel about 15 minutes later. For the next hour and a half, it was mostly chill. We walked to the tunnel entrance, explored a little side room, and overall just messed around in the tunnel, laughing at all the funny graffiti and taking cursed videos. When we reached the end of the tunnel, we spent, I don't know, maybe 10 minutes looking around for a way up to the ventilation room. We couldn't find a path outside and the staircase leading up was destroyed. We turned around and began our long walk back, but within five minutes of backtracking, we noticed something when we all turned off our lights in the tunnel. There was a faint, shining light coming from behind us. Out of what seemed to be sheer instinct, two of my friends began running. It was more of a jog than a sprint, but me and my other friend kept up. 
Eventually, we slowed down and made our lights as dim as possible. At first, I was unsure of why we were being so paranoid, but one of my friends later pointed out that it's better to not take any chances of encountering someone past midnight in such a secluded area, and I can't really argue with that. What added to our suspicion was how the people behind us, we assumed it was at least two, were not only pursuing us, but they occasionally called out into the darkness of the tunnel, and they occasionally blacked out their lights like we did. Our fast walk turned into a full-blown sprint after we eventually heard a very loud, resonant, metallic sound like a huge gong being struck, which, of course, amplified and reverberated throughout the tunnel. Even while sprinting, I saw their light behind us bouncing up and down as if they too were running. We got out of the tunnel, shaken by what we had just witnessed and what had just happened to us, and we began to reflect on how suspicious it was that they not only pursued us, but also turned off their lights from time to time, just like we did. We were also confused about the source of what could only be described as a very loud gong. A friend jokingly, but kind of creepily, brought up the idea of cultists. But I have to assume those people just hit some loose metal pipes? We all made it home safe, with no sign of them pursuing us outside of the tunnel, but to be honest, I'm glad we didn't take the chance of encountering them face to face, whoever they were. If you guys like what you've been hearing and you want even more spooky, strange stories in your life, consider becoming a patron. Go to Patreon and search Backwoods Creepy. Become a spectral sugar daddy and you'll get a shout out in the next show and a hearty tip of the cap from me and Julie. Join the creepy crew to get early access to episodes and an extra monthly quick hit episode. Or become a most benevolent Bigfoot benefactor and you'll get all the other perks, plus a monthly deep dive episode, a merch package, and early notice on live streams and live events. Alright, that's enough of the sales pitch. Let's get back to the creepy. human ear is an incredible example of evolutionary ingenuity and intricacy. The layers of sound and the range of tones that the ear can pick up, decipher, and transmit as data to the brain is stunning. The ability to distinguish bird and animal calls, weight, speed, and distance of objects moving unseen in the bush, and friend from foe made the terrifying and violent life of early man just a little bit more manageable. Most of these evolutionary advances are with us even today, even in an age when technology can seemingly do all. The ear can still pick up on things that your pods cannot, like unearthly menace and otherworldly danger.
The summer of 2008 was a rough time to graduate from college. I'd just spent four years getting a degree only to find that the job market had all but dried up. As bummed out as I was about being unemployed for the foreseeable future, I found a deep appreciation for backcountry camping and hiking that summer. Growing up in the Rocky Mountains and graduating from a college in western Montana, I wasn't a stranger to hiking or camping, but that summer it became an escape to the point of an obsession. Going on daily hikes and camping beneath the stars really helped my mental health while I worried about my life's purpose and future. It was June and unseasonably cold, wet, and cloudy. The daytime highs barely touched 50 degrees, and at night it dropped below freezing. Despite the weather, I had planned to hike around the Anaconda Range that week, and I wasn't going to let the weather deter me. My plan for the week, funny enough, was to hike from Storm Lake over Storm Lake Pass and down to Upper Seymour Lake. I'll put the latitude and longitude in the show notes. Storm Lake, actually an alpine reservoir, is a challenge to get to and requires a 4x4 pickup and some skilled driving. The road is a narrow two-track winding its way through thick pine forests. The way was slick with rain, but I made it to the top with just a little bit of heartburn. I set up camp on the north shore of the lake and decided to do some fishing. The fishing was miserable. It was cold and nothing was biting. But the best thing about bad fishing is that my thoughts were free to wander while I sat on the shore. The rain was a constant light drizzle and created a natural kind of white noise. Time passed, and then my daydreams were cut short as a low rumble from up the canyon overtook the sounds of the rain. The rumbling was not unlike a distant diesel engine. But there are no roads that go beyond where I was camped. No machinery or vehicles could get up the canyon. Maybe it's a plane, I thought, looking up into the rain clouds. The sound wasn't above me. It came from beyond the lake and up into the canyon. The sound was stationary and constant. This was most certainly not a plane or a truck or a bulldozer. All of this wasn't outright scary to me, but nonetheless... My hair stood on end while I sat there listening. After about 20 minutes or so, the rumbling faded away and I was left again with only the sound of raindrops. Soon enough, I caught a decent-sized trout, cleaned it, and headed back to camp to get ready for dinner. The fish cooked up fine, but to be honest, I hate trout. It's edible, sure, but totally unappetizing. They taste like mud. I ate as much as I could, stood up, and tossed the rest into the lake. Building up my fire for the night, I sat back to enjoy the evening with a little bit of whiskey, and night came fast. The mountain ridges put the sun to bed early, and the rain clouds obscured the starlight. It was dark, really dark. The sounds of a crackling, warm fire and the rain bouncing off my tent were a great comfort, starting to lull me to sleep. I reminded myself I needed to build up the fire before bed, so I walked over to my pile of scavenged firewood and grabbed an armful. Being away from the fire's crackling, I could pick up that all-too-familiar rumbling rising in the background again. It was growing louder than before, and closer. 
I, I may have had too many pulls of the whiskey, and I was definitely tired and grouchy. So the noise was ruining my camping trip and my buzz. Frustrated, I yelled into the blackness of the night, Hey! Shut the fuck up, asshole! And like a switch being flipped, the rumbling stopped. And so did the rain. My heart skipped a beat. I realized that that was not a convenient coincidence. There was an intelligence out there. Something sentient and observing me and responding to my screams. And I wasn't getting the most positive vibes from it. I threw all the logs on the fire and retreated back to my tent. More on edge than ever, I just sat there listening. Listening to the fire crackling, to my rapid breathing, and beyond that to the silence of the darkness. Before this moment, I had felt alone but safe. Now, I felt alone and completely vulnerable. Beyond where the firelight faded, I felt there were a million eyes in the dark watching me. My paranoia began to subside when the rain suddenly started again. But this time, not a drizzle, but a massive downpour. I was glad I had built up the fire where it would have been snuffed out for sure. My tent was being pushed down by the force of the storm. I thought about bailing to the truck, but I knew I'd be soaked to the bone instantly. Risking injury or death over getting wet is the kind of logic only whiskey can produce. I could feel the rainwater pooling and moving under the tent. This storm wasn't letting up. The urge to get in the pickup and drive away was ever more tantalizing. I could just get my stuff tomorrow in the daylight and spend a few nights in the town. But I'd had a bit too much to drink. Driving, especially on that slick, muddy, two-track road, would have been a death sentence. But I still needed a safer place to sleep than my wimpy tent. Grabbing what I could, I ripped open the tent flaps and ran for the truck. I was soaking wet by the time I settled into the driver's seat and locked the doors. Turning the heat on full blast, I hoped that would dry me out. It was going to be a miserable night, though. I reclined my chair and tried to calm my thoughts with some deep breathing. But the rain just wasn't letting up. It was constant. I was warm from the heater, though, and I was riding the crest of a fairly good whiskey buzz. The fire was still raging despite the rain, and it kept the campsite well lit. I remember seeing the truck's clock reading 1.06 a.m., and then I blinked. It was only a moment, but when I opened my eyes, the rain had stopped. It was foggy and quiet. The once raging campfire was just embers, and there was morning twilight in the east. The truck's clock now read 5.45 a.m. It was morning. That couldn't be right. Almost five hours gone. In the blink of an eye? I must have passed out. My head was certainly killing me, but I didn't feel like I had drank that much to justify that kind of hangover. 
turned off the truck, stepped out to survey the night's damage. My tent was completely flattened. The tent poles were shattered to pieces. Everything was soaking wet. Smothering the remains of the fire, I dragged all my junk to the pickup and tossed it into the bed. My hike over the pass wasn't happening today, that was for sure. It was around 6.30 a.m. before I finished packing up camp, and as I climbed into the cab of my truck, I heard the rumbling again through the morning fog. I drove out of there as fast as I could, down that muddy bobsled track of a road, not once looking into the rearview mirror. I've never been back to Storm Lake, and I probably never will be. folks thanks for listening to backwoods creepy again i'm your host cullen and today's tales were brought to you by a deleted poster for the first story and then the second tale was brought to us by clyde 2003 again we want to hear from you so send me your story to backwoodscreepypod at gmail.com ideally your story truly happened to you in is around a thousand words at least Follow along on TikTok, Twitter, Instagram at Backwoods Creepy for videos, hikes, live streams, and inside the podcast news. And please rate, review, and subscribe. It helps the show get more listeners, which helps us get more content out, which helps you guys pass that commute just a little bit quicker. To support the show and help keep the content rolling, go to Patreon and search Backwoods Creepy. As a patron, you'll get episodes early, special patrons-only content, merch, and much more. Thank you for listening, and remember, when the woods go quiet, listen. Listen.